Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. Our uh, results over the weekend were not magnificent. They weren't. I was in Lexington, Kentucky. Got a chance to witness that debacle firsthand. Got a lot to say about that. A lot to say about uh, what I think needs to happen as we kind of move forward this season. I'm not ready to uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I can tell you I was beginning to feel a lot more optimistic about Mississippi State baseball uh, the last couple of weeks. We talked about how we needed to get fat and beat the team we're supposed to beat. We did. We go to Kentucky and get embarrassed and get exposed. Uh, Chris Simonis used the same phrases. We got exposed. We did. That's the first SEC weekend. We got nine more of these. So it's tough. It is. I'm not going to pull any punches today. I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel. I owe it to you guys. We're all feeling many of the same things. We take so much pride in college baseball. We have built this cathedral out here, and I'll be honest with you, the standards and tradition of Mississippi State baseball were not upheld this weekend. Now, I can sit here and say, hey, it's just one weekend. It is. However, many of the issues that plagued us the first two weeks of the season are still prevalent today. There could be some help on the way, but the reality of it is, is we got to figure this thing out. This fan base not going to tolerate another season like we had last year. Last year, you could kind of excuse some of it away due to injuries, right? I mean, we lose Landon Sims, you lose Stone Simmons down at Tulane, uh, you lose Brooks Auger, you see Parker Stinnett go down. Varying opinions about him, but, you know, at the time, he was doing pretty well and then started fading a little bit. But the reality of it is, and this is the thing that I go back to as a guy that uh, – has extensively covered and researched the history of Mississippi State baseball. How in the world did Mississippi State get into a position where we don't have at least one shutdown start on a weekend? How's it happen? It's inexcusable. It's unacceptable. We shouldn't have to keep piecing this thing together. We ought to have somebody we can count on. At this point, we don't. We don't. And that's not in any way to be disrespectful to anybody. I know some of these guys are going out there Uh, given the best they have, but their best isn't good enough. This is Mississippi State. It takes a special player to play with the expectations of this program. And there are some guys, I don't know if they have it within them to uphold that. So we'll see. And again, it's easy to get caught up in the flow and be a prisoner of the moment and say, you know what, we're going to be terrible. And maybe we are going to be. But I'll be honest with you, Kentucky's a better ball team. And I think many people expect it. I said that when I previewed the SEC East. I told you Kentucky was a bit of a dark horse. I don't expect them to win the league by any stretch of the imagination, but they're better than many people projected them to be. I think they showed that this weekend. And by the same token, I think Mississippi State, maybe it's not as good as I hoped we'd be or expected us to be. The league coaches picked us dead last in the West. We didn't do anything to change that perception of ourselves over the weekend. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. It was not a fun event. Hey, the wife and I had a great time in Lexington. Baseball was standing. Enjoyed the company. The company was outstanding. The entertainment was awful. Of course, 
you know, we're still providing you unprecedented coverage of Mississippi State baseball. We'll continue to do that. You know, we're not going to get caught up and say, well, you know, we're just not going to go to the games because things aren't going the way we expected. We're still going to do our jobs. It's one of the things that your good friend and host prides himself upon is we're going to be the genuine article. We're not going to just be caught up in this and be a fan. We're still going to provide you good coverage each and every ball game. That's what we're going to do. And my hope is this team can turn it around. There are some reasons to think that maybe they can. There was no evidence of that over the weekend. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I love Bulldog Burger Company. Reminder, this Wednesday night, 5 to 8 at Tupelo, uh, the fine folks from the Memphis Brewing Company are going to be made in Memphis Brewing Company. are going to be there. Going to have five rotating taps. You can have a chance to sample their fine selections. Go by and check it out. Again, I'm not a beer drinker these days, even though this baseball team makes me considerate. No, I never would. But the reality of it is, is that you can go enjoy a great night out with friends on Wednesday. Again, it's 5 to 8. It's a Tupelo location of Bulldog Burger Company. One of three great locations to serve your University Drive here in Start Vegas. Of course, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out today. Have a great restaurant-quality hamburger. Treat yourself. Get those spring rolls to improve your appearance. It's in writing. It's science. And get that dessert to go, that chocolate shake. That's a nice ride home. You can ride that ride with a smile. The chocolate shake to go from Bulldog Burger Company. The place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's go ahead and jump into this baseball fiasco. We, we did a Saturday show and talked about the uh, the Friday game. So we're not going to go back and recap that. But we are going to go ahead and, and uh, look at Saturday and Sunday as much as maybe we don't want to. But it felt like on Saturday, hey, we were in good shape. It did. I felt like we got a good a good draw at the play. Matthew Wilbanks, you know, a check. Excuse me, Matthew Wilbanks. Uh, Ronnie Teague was behind the plate. I consistently checked in with our trackman people. I thought we got a pretty good zone. I didn't think we were getting squeezed at times. I felt that way. And of course, you know, with the new trackman software, there's a new level of accountability for SEC umpires. That needs to be the case. We can't blame this on officials. It had nothing to do with that. There's always going to be one or two pitches we'd like to have back, but the reality of it is we didn't play well. But we did get off to a good start. Top of one, uh, Larry, as we, we lay a bunt down, it doesn't work out, excuse me. One of those balls goes off the pitcher to the shortstop, and it's like you start thinking maybe it did in our day, right? Then better singles to right. Chance uh, grounds out. They force a runner at second. Hancock then grounds out to second. They did a great job, Kentucky pitching that is, of getting under barrels. A lot of sink, working down in his zone. We beat the ball in the ground. There was so many ground outs over the weekend. Landon Garman comes out. is absolutely outstanding the first time through the order. He strikes out the side in the first, and all three of those are K's looking. It really felt like he was on his game. Hunter Hines at home is the center field. The actual flight distance, 450 feet. They're, the Kentucky people tell me it's a rare thing to see a home run hit to center field. I thought we had three. On Saturday, Isaac then lays down a beautiful bunt, beats it out, and then Kellum Clark grounds into a double play, and then Slade Offord grounds out the short. That ends the inning, but State with a one nothing lead midway through the second. We come out immediately knock uh, walk Petrie, and it seems like I think that the only time we faced him all weekend when there weren't runners on base, the kid's really good. I mean, he's not the you know regular cleanup hitter, but it's just a guy that puts the ball in play. We got Gilligan to strike out swinging. 
Uh, Petrie still second in the middle of this process. Walsh Med strikes out swinging, and then McCoy grounds out the first. So while we did get that opening inning walk, Garman does a good job kind of getting us out of it there. No issues. We maintain a one nothing lead. Top of third. Forsyth grounds out to third. Larry off to short. And then Ledbetter walks. An extensive at bat there. Good A-Bs for Colton over the weekend, though he didn't have a lot to show for it. People are pitching him a little bit different. Now they know what he can do. And Bryce Chance uh, grounds out, and they force a runner at second. All right, bottom of third. Garman's right back out there again. It's another one, two, three inning. Stanky flies out to left. Smith strikes out looking. Gray strikes out looking. So, you know, very deceptive with that breaking ball. I thought he was spotting up all three pitches for strikes. And again, first time through the order, you were outstanding. You know, so through, through three innings, we faced 10 hitters. They don't have a hit. The lone base runner is in, uh, in an opening walk in the second. So I felt like, hey, Garbman's going to get us. Maybe he'll cruise into the sixth. We can turn this thing over. Luke Hancock then walks a very lengthy at bat. I believe it's an 11-pitch at bat. So we win and start running the counts up here. Then Hunter Hines homers to right field. I was sitting in the press box right on the line. That thing started foul, faded back fair, goes foul again, and then right before it disappears over the right field wall, it fades back fair for a two-run home run. Now it's 3 nothing. Robbie Falk was up there for a couple games with me, too, and Robbie made mention Right before this inning, we're thinking, you know what, hey, we need to give Gartman a little margin here. If we can give him a couple runs here, the way that he's pitching, one swing can't tie you. You think you're good. Hyzak grounds out to third. Clark flies out to left. Offered and grounds out to third. But it's a 3-0 ball game. And you feel like, again, the way Gartman's working here, you got a good chance. Well, we couldn't stand our own success here. Lead-off walk to Felker. Lead-off walks are of the devil. Felker didn't take second, and that's that's a problem, too. We can't control the running game. And as a former catcher, that's one thing that absolutely drives me insane. And it's not just on the catcher. Our catchers, listen, there's a lot of room for improvement behind the plate. There are. Luke Hancock is a guy that's somewhat limited as a catcher. He's a good receiver. He's not good uh, control the running game. It's kind of where we are, right? And Ross Highfield is going to be a star, but he is still learning how to block up an SEC breaking ball. But a lot of times these walks turn into doubles. And now all of a sudden the double play is not in order. So if you do get the ground ball, you know, you've got a runner going to third and you've only got the one out. And so when you can't control the running game, you're basically just kind of opening up scoring opportunities for your opponents left and right. Bergston flies out to right, Felker tags and takes third. You're thinking, okay, we're, we're you know, still got to deal with this guy at third. However... If they do score, it's still a 3-1 ball game. Then we hit Petrie with the pitch. Again, this is a guy that's not, you know, power hitter. He's not going to hurt you, but he doesn't strike out much. I think he's got nine Ks on the year. He's just a guy that's going to put the ball in play, and we we hit him. And then immediately he's still second. So now all of a sudden you got runner two scores and two runners in scoring position with just a one out. And then Gilliam, a guy that uh, had a really rough night on Friday, but had the big hit to hurt us. Gilliam homers to center field. So here we are in the fourth inning. They got one hit, and it's a tie ball game. Walshman flies out to right. McCoy grounds out to third. But this is what happens. You know, when you challenge hitters, you're going to give up the big fly every now and again. But we aided in our own demise here. A walk and a hit by pitch turns in what should have been a solo home run into a three-run blast. So while State had dominated this game through four innings, it's tied. That is demoralizing to a team. 
When you go out there and you scratch and claw, and they had a pretty good start on the mound, you start running this count up a little bit, you get a couple of big swings, and you get a 3 nothing lead, and then you gift it back. You gift it back, and that's really been the story of this team this year. All right, top of five. State gets a little traffic on the bases here. A chance for us to retake the lead. Uh, Forsyth walks, four-pitch walk there, and then Larry Lanes lays down a sack bunt. We get the runner to second. Now you're thinking, okay, we got a runner in scoring position, and, and the conditions were not really conducive for home run balls on Saturday, or, or so it appeared. And so you think you, you're playing for one here. Okay, so Ledbetter flies out to second. We, you know, just a short fly ball to right. They go ahead and pull Bozma and bring in Hagenau. And again, we had done a good job running the pitch count up. And Hagenau's a former starter, so you know he could kind of go for a while. A chance reaches on a throwing error by the third baseman. And they were the team that was kind of booting the baseball around, and we didn't take advantage. And then Highfield uh, pinch hits for Luke Hancock. Now, a lot of people have asked about this. A lot of people, again, we don't know the facts. So immediately we, we come out with the hot takes. Luke Hancock tweaked something earlier in the ball game. The cold weather, his back began to lock up, made it difficult for him to crouch. And so we had to pinch hit with Highfield. And one of the questions that I had yesterday is, well, why didn't we go lefty righty here, right? Why didn't – why not pinch hit a left-hander and let Heifel take over uh, behind the plate? And uh, I'm told we, we only had one left-handed hitter available at the time and uh, may have to use him later in the ballgame in a matchup. So we put Ross in. Rice strikes out on three three pitches. It's, that's an unfortunate at bat. It really was. But, again, here we go. Get the leadoff guy on, move him around, and then we can't do anything with it. Can't do anything with it. It's not good. All right, bottom of five, and this is when things got away from us. We walk Stanky again, leadoff walks are of the devil. And then Smith, the nine-hole hitter, doubles into right field. Now there's runners at second and third, so at least we didn't walk him and let him steal bases, right? Made him at least hit, hit, hit his way on. Gray isn't hit by the pitch to load the bases. Felker singles up the middle. That's your two-hole hitter. Two runs score, it's 5-3. Then we walk Burks, which loads the bases again. We bring in Brock Tapper and place a Gartman. And it's incredible how things went south for Gartman. Again, I think at this point he is probably a two-time-through-the-order you know, two guy. The guy gets out there and competes, he really does. And he doesn't have really special stuff, but he does a good job spotting up a changeup for a strike, and he can land a breaking ball for a strike. All that's from the same arm slot, same arm speed, so he's very deceptive. But usually two-times-through-the-order after everybody has seen him, there's going to be, uh, you know, some balls being put in play. But again, you know, the first two of the first three guys you see are free passes, and then it's a single and another walk. So of the inning, the five batters that Gartman faced, we we put three of them on base. It's amazing. It's amazing. Again, we're in the ball game in the middle inning, and we gift them three runners, and then everybody scores. I mean, it's like it's an exercise in futility sometimes. All right, bringing Brock Tapper as a single back up the middle, two-run score makes it seven uh, to three. And, of course, you know, we just got Tapper out there just you know, just trying to get us out of this thing. I thought he did a decent job. But then Walt Schmidt singles to right field, loads of bases again, and it's a pass ball. We gift him another run. McCoy strikes out swinging, Stanky strikes out swinging. So, you know, really nothing negative to say about Brock Tapper. He comes into a nearly impossible situation, navigates through it as best he can. But now from a tie ball game, now we're down five runs, five runs. And, again, it's the same issues. Not getting good play behind the plate, 
not getting good pitching on the mound. And it all starts at pitching. I posted this yesterday at jeanspage.com on the baseball board. When you don't pitch it well, the defense goes to sleep. When you don't pitch it well and you're issuing free passes, puts a lot of pressure on your, on your offense. When you feel like you're having to chase the game at the plate, there is no patience because you're thinking, I got to do too much. I got to go up here and make something happen. And so your hitters can't relax. And it all starts with pitching, period. It all starts with pitching. It all works together, but it all starts with pitching. All right, top of six, Hines doubles to right field. Big ball game for him. On an 0-2 count, he rips one in the right field. And so you've got a leadoff runner on. And then Heisek flies out, pops up the first. Clark gets on the fielding errors. Now you've got runners on the corners. And then Alford lines out to the pitcher to double Clark at first. And go back to that very first thing. It's just one of those things that just felt like it wasn't our day. It's crazy. Bottom of six. We're back at the bottom of the order. This is not going to be their fourth time through the order. But Smith lines out to the shortstop. We walk Gray again. Falker flies out to center. Gray still second, of course. Bergson singles and advances to second on air by the center fielder and comes around and scores. This is the liner out the center that led better dismiss and it goes all the way to the wall. Then Petrie doubles down the left field line and McCarthy strikes out swinging. So even when we have a chance to get out of it here, there's two outs in the inning with a runner with a runner on, and uh, you know, it's a line drive to center. You know maybe the one run scores. You possibly can kind of keep it uh, keep it in front of you. Maybe you can hold the guy at third. I would have sent him. But then you misplay a ball in the outfield. And, uh, again, two more runs are in. And it's crazy. I mean, it is. Tapper comes in here and does his job, and uh, we can't make a play behind him. And, again, I think that's a base hit either way. I mean, Ledbetter's not going to lay out and make the catch. But the reality of it is is we didn't we didn't play well. Top of seven, state goes one, two, three. We get back at the bottom of seven. Kentucky continues to add on here. We bring in um, Logan Forsythe, who hadn't pitched in a little bit of a while. He's a talented freshman guy from D'Iberville. We do expect big things from him. And the first thing he does is, is he gives up a walk to Waldschmidt. Lengthy at bat here, but it's a leadoff walk. Again, leadoff walks are of the devil. Then McCoy homers to center. Now it's a 12-3 ball game. Stanky singles, then Smith flies out to center field. Gray flies out to right, finally got him out. Then Felker singles back up the middle. Herrera goes to third. Felker still second, of course. Of course he does. And then Burks walks, and Petrie flies out to center field, finally got him out. At top of eight, state goes one, two, three. Bottom of eight, we bring in Will Gibbs, who is kind of quietly putting together a good season for the Bulldogs, another one of our talented freshman pitchers. McCarthy grounds out to first base. We walk Walshmith, and of course he's still second. McCoy flies out to center. Walshmith and still third. And then Herrera strikes out looking. So, and that's what happens when we when we put a guy on base. He's going to end up in scoring position. We just got to hope they don't get a big two out hit. In this inning, we that didn't happen. And top of nine, State goes one, two, three. So State loses ball game twelve three. And you think, okay, well Friday night was a tough one, you know, and maybe things got away from us a little bit on Saturday. But now we've lost the series. And and uh, Hunter Hines' uh, three hit day is real. We had five hits as a team. Hunter Hines had three of them. You're not going to beat anybody when eight of your nine hitters go two for a ball game. It's not going to happen. The one error we made, of course, was uh, Ledbetter, and it was just fun. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. 
and we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Those inexcusable plays. He'll take you the same. All right, we get into uh, Sunday, and what a miserable experience this was. It's hard to believe our 20 runs scored in this game, and we got the game done in 249. Kind of helps when you don't play the final two innings. Now, I am never one to go after a player, but I'm going to go after the coaches a little bit right here. I don't understand why we keep trotting uh, Graham Eintema out there, and I think it's he's not ready. He's just not ready. And that's not being negative about the kid. I think we're asking him to do some things perhaps he's not ready to do, but we keep putting him out there, and uh, we got to try something a little bit different. You know, when I look at I – mean, let's look at Graham Eintema's box scores here, if I can get these things put up. And listen, he was outstanding in junior college, but this is the Southeastern Conference. All right, so against VMI, he goes one in the third, five hits, two runs, three Ks, a walk. UO Monroe, decent outing here, one inning pitch, one hit, one strikeout, no runs allowed. Arizona State, he goes five innings. Three hits, one run, six Ks, no walks. And then ever since then, I don't know what's happened. I don't know if people have seen film on him. I don't know perhaps if um, if something has changed with him. He has not been the same pitcher since the UL Monroe Arizona State week uh, back in late February. Just hadn't been the same. He goes six innings combined that week, allows three hits and then one run, strikes out seven, doesn't walk anybody. But things have changed substantially with him since then. I don't know if he's doing something different mechanically, but it has not been good. Against Oklahoma, goes two and two-thirds, allows seven runs, five hits. And that's a ball game, too, that, uh, you know, we're cruising along there. Next thing you know, we give up a gopher ball, and the game changed. Three Ks, five walks in the ball game Against Lipscomb, he comes back out in a terrible first inning. But we, we, we wind up getting the W there. But it's five and a third innings pitch, three hits, three runs. Uh, three walks and five Ks. And so outside of the first inning, he was actually pretty good. And then Kentucky doesn't even get an out. One hit, four runs, three earned, three walks, no Ks. And so that's three consecutive starts that have been shaky at best. Two of them have been terrible. The Lipscomb start, of course, we get in some first inning trouble and we're able to kind of navigate through that. But 
I just don't feel like you can trust him at this point. Maybe he becomes a reliever. Maybe next year he can challenge for a weekend spot. I just think we're asking him to do some things right now he's not capable of doing. All right, so we get to this top of first here on Sunday. Uh, came out really aggressive, chasing some first pitch stuff, being very aggressive early in counts. Uh, Monty Larry singles to left, led better than grounds out. The, the second hit the ball hard, just they got under a barrel there. Chance flies out the center. They walk Hunter Hines intentionally. That's respect. Then Hyzak strikes out swinging. If you're Connor Hyzak, you got to take that personally. They're going to walk that guy to get to you. Now you. You kind of understand them walking Hunter Hines because he's red hot. He's hit four home runs in a week. But you got to take that personal. Was not a good at bat. All right, bottom of one, and this is when, you know, this is when it all begins to unravel. It's a single to third base, then Felker walks, and it's a double steal. So we double our pleasure, and I appreciate them not wasting our time going on back-to-back pitches. Go ahead and get it done now. Burks walks to load the bases, and then Petrie walks. We have walked in a run. So we bring in Evan Sieri, who is one of our talented young pitchers, and uh, he's a freshman. Again, he's being pressed in the service because some of these other guys are just not getting it done. And while the kid has been knocked around a little bit of times, like by Ohio State, his last three outings have been good. He will at least go out there and compete. Now, he walks the first guy he sees after a lengthy at-bat, but he gets ahead 1-2 in the count and can't finish. we got to be able to finish a hitter, especially in that situation. And, of course, now that we've walked in a run, it's 2-0. Waldschmidt then gets on the fielder's choice, drives in a run. We finally get an out here, but it's 4-0, a couple run score. We get McCoy on a fielder's choice, and then Church reaches on a, a fielder's choice bunt, but we force the, the, the runner at the plate and then ground out the second. So we get out of it. But not before it's 4 nothing. It's two times on the weekend we get down 4 nothing. So we're chasing the game immediately. After their first at-bat, we're out there chasing the game. And with our bullpen, you know, it's even if you catch up, it, it's going to be a dicey proposition. We can ill afford to stop, to, to continue to give teams leads. However, you begin to think, okay, it's a long ball game. We got eight innings to work with, or so we thought. And so let's go get it done. Well, Kellen Clark comes out there and, and hammers the ball over center fielder's head. And it's interesting, too. Some people in Kentucky wanted to try to give an error on the play, which is a joke. Uh, your good friend and host kind of spoke up a little bit. No, guy on a dead run, ball gets over his head. It's not an error. It's a triple. I don't know who we're trying to protect there. I mean, honestly. But that's a minor issue. And then Clark scores on a pass ball. It's 4-1. Heifel flies out to left. Alford walks. And then Lane Forsyth reaches on a fielder's choice. They force a runner at second. Larry then singles. You got runners at first and second. They'd led better to come through with a big hit. We don't. We don't. So now it's 4-1, but you think, hey, we're only down three. We got a chance here. Sierra goes out there and gets you a really good second and gets a fly out to center, strikeout swinging. We do hit Burks with the pitch. And, again, it seems like it wouldn't be a bulldog inning. We can't ever go one, two, three. And it's a fly out from Petrie. So, again, we allow the, the two out extra the two out base runner here but we're able to get around it top of third state climbs back into the ball game even more chance grounds out the second Hines and singles to right field who was good all weekend Hyzak flies out to right and then Kellum Clark hits an absolute tank job to right it's 4-3 they walk Ross Highfield good at bat from Ross there and then Alford fouls out to the catcher so probably could have been a bigger inning but I thought we took care of business here. Again, now we're down by one. You start thinking, okay, it's a ball game. Sierra goes out there and gets you a one, two, three inning. You needed a clean inning. You got it. 
You're climbing back into this thing. And at this point, if I told you this ball game's not going to go the distance, you would say, Steve, you're crazy. All right, top of four. And again, State, a chance to, to make something happen here. It's a, it's a walk to Forsythe. Then Larry sack bunts him to second. Then they walk Ledbetter. They go ahead and bring in Ryder Giles in place of Zach Lee. But we got two men on, just one out. Bryce Chance, Fielder's Choice. Lengthy a bat here. Give him a lot of credit. He got into a um, full count situation and fouled off four consecutive pitches. Really ran the pitch count up, uh, but we don't really get anything from it. They force a runner at second. Now you got runners on the corners. They walk Hines to load the bases to get to Connor Hyzak, who strikes out swinging. Again, you got to take that personal, and you can't go up there and just kind of meekly fan at strike three. This is a chance to get your team the lead. It, it's a, it, runners are first and second here, but it's one of those things you look at and you begin to think to yourself, I guess, excuse me, base is loaded here. Base is loaded. You're a veteran player. After a tough weekend, you got to put this ball in play. We strike out swinging. Not good. Not good. We, if we're going to do that, put Dakota Jordan in there. I'd rather Dakota get that at bat, even if it ends in a strikeout. At least we're, we're kind of moving towards the future. All right, bottom of four, we have a guy that's hitting about a buck forty-three, hit a home run. They use three different DHs every, a different DH every day. This one homers. Now it's five-three, and you're still not ready to panic and think, okay, Sierra's good, it's okay. Smith flies out the right. Gray singles at the middle. Felker flies out the right. Gray still second, of course he does. Burks is then hit by the pitch. We've pitched our way into some drama. But we get Petrie to fly out to left. So we navigate through that just giving up a solo home run, despite the fact that uh, they had a couple guys get on base. All right, top of five. A chance again for us to kind of climb in here and, and make something happen. Clark strikes out swinging. Ross, first pitch swinging, knocks it back up the middle, goes to second on the pass ball. So you're thinking, okay, let's climb back in here. We need a big hit here. Sweat offer grounds out to the pitcher. And then Forsyth walks again. And so you've got a chance here, top of the order up with two men on, and then Larry strikes out swinging. Welcome to the SEC. All right, bottom of fifth, Nate Chester goes in and places Sweet Offered at third, and I think that third base competition is continues to be wide open. I asked Lamonis about that in postgame. Uh, you know, Mershon is going to be great in time. He's maybe not quite ready, maybe playing some in some midweek games. Uh, but Slate, Slate's hurting us. He is. He's not helping us defensively. He's not helping us offensively. We sat him down for a while, comes back up, makes some good plays, had a couple of hits on Friday night. But we're not getting the slate offer to the summer. And, you know, the thing about summer baseball, too, is there's no pressure. Nobody cares who wins those games other than the players themselves. It's a different deal played at Mississippi State. I go back to my first comment. It takes a special young man to play baseball at Mississippi State. And I think slate offers got it in, and we got to find a way to get it out of him. Gilliam grounds out the short. Walshmith and triples to right center. We bring in uh, Colby Holcomb in place of Evan Sieri. And again, good effort from Evan Sieri. He kept us in the ball game. He comes in in a nearly impossible situation, and then he leaves with State down two. Colby comes in and walks McCoy. Wild pitch since both guys in a scoring position. It's just, I mean, we're just doing things that get you beat. Church strikes out swinging, so you're pitch away from getting out of it. And then uh, it's an infield hit. Of course, the, uh, you know, the run scores on the wild pitch. Always nice. Uh, Smith, you know, gets a base hit here, and then Gray triples down the right field line. Just one of those crazy little plays. Just 
Not much you can do there. And now it's 8-3, and we feel like, okay, we have scratched and clawed and made this a game, and here we are giving it away. And, of course, then we walk the next guy. Bring in Tyler Davis in place of Holcomb, the third pitcher of the inning. Wild pitch. Then we walk the guy, and then Petrie grounds out to second. Yeah, Petrie, we, we, hey, nothing else. We controlled him, right? But it's crazy. Again, this inning is just kind of a microcosm for our season. We can't get out of our own way. Top of six, we get a leadoff walk to Ledbetter, and then it's chance flies out to right, hind singles, and then I don't know who elected to send him. You got to know your personnel here. We elected to send him a second. He was out easily, and then Heizak grounds out to short on the first pitch. And maybe that turns into a double play, so it's inconsequential, but I thought it was a bad decision to send him. I, I first guessed it. I second guessed it. I'm guessing again now. Bad decision. You can't get that guy out. You got to keep the pressure on the pitcher. We didn't. We didn't. All of a sudden, you get the big hit, and now the pressure shifts to them. You overrun the play and give them an out. Then all of a sudden, they're all giddy again, thinking, hey, now we're a pitch away from getting out of this deal. Got to keep pressure on the pitcher. Bottom of six, and this is the nightmare ending that wouldn't end. Gilliam singles up the middle, then Walt Schmidt homers to left center. McCoy doubles down the line. We bring in Tyson Harden in place of Davis to mop up for us. It's now an 11-3 ball game. McCoy goes to third on a wild pitch. Then Church doubles down the line. McCoy scores. Big day for Church. They pinch run for him here so he can get his ovation. Uh, Smith bunt single, moves the runner to third, and then Gray doubles down the right field line. It's now a 13-3 ball game. Felker grounds out to second. Run scores, 14-3. We get Burks to strike out looking. Petrie singles to center field. Gray scores, and then Gilliam homers to right field, and this is when the brouhaha happened. So Gilliam homers and then bat flips towards the mound, which is an automatic ejection. Now, a lot of people have talked about this, and, and some of the hot takes drive me crazy. But uh, And then there was one of their pitchers, Austin Strickland. That's the same guy that had the F U to our dugout. He comes out there talking a bunch of trash. He got ejected too. Now, after Wall Smith lines out to left to end the inning, there was still some discussion from the Bulldog dugout towards Kentucky and towards the officials. A lot of people were involved. Like a lot of people that weren't there have had a lot to say about this. You weren't there. I was there. Okay, I saw it all happen. There were several Bulldog players that were chirping. Don't know what was said, but Parker Sinet was identified by the first base umpire. He calls the head home plate umpire over. They point to Parker Parker goes out of the dugout and said, what did I do? I have no clue if he said anything or what he said, but he was ejected, and he handled it like a pro. When it, when it all happened, and when he came out there, first he was upset. Lamontos and the guys getting back in the dugout. He takes off his warm-up jacket, and he goes back in the tunnel. He didn't argue. He didn't cause a problem. Again, I don't know what he said. Don't know if he was even a guilty party. He may have been misidentified, but he was not the only Bulldog that was upset about what happened. Now, here's the thing, and I always get criticized for this, and uh, I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, So you can feel about this however you want. If you think less of me, that's fine. I I can live with it. I can tote it, as my dad used to say. You may beat me, but you are absolutely not going to disrespect me. Period. You may beat me, right? And you may run your mouth a little bit, but you're not going to disrespect me. You're not going to flip the bat at my pitcher, and then you're not going to come running across a diamond and yell obscenities at my dugout. Not going to do it. If I got to wear a suspension, then so be it. I'm going to stand up for myself and for my team. 
And you can say, but Steve, you know, it's 17 to 3. Listen, I get it. I get it. It's our job to get them out. It's our job to score runs. It's our job to play good defense. That said, if I'm coaching this team, the next guy, Wall Smith, I'm, I'm plunking him. You might beat us, but you're not going to come out here and punk us out. You know, but Steve, it's bad sportsmanship. So be it. Because you start letting these things cascade a little bit, then other people feel like, hey, it's okay. Those guys are just a bunch of punks over there, right? You can do and say whatever you want. We had a tough weekend. And my hope is that all of this might fire us up a little bit. And maybe you start putting some pride in the uniform and the pride in the man next to you and pride in your program. That's the problem I got with the portal, to be quite honest with you, is you got a lot of people that may be great ball players that are basically mercenaries and talent for hire. They don't have that same level of appreciation for the logo they're wearing. I'm not saying that personally about any particular player on our roster. Don't get me wrong. But I know this. I grew up a Mississippi State guy. And when you talk negatively about Bulldog baseball, I take that personally. And perhaps I shouldn't. I never wore a uniform. I've never stood in the dugout. I've never got out there and had to get a guy out for the Bulldogs. But I've lived and breathed and bled with this team my entire life as have many of you. And we may disagree about a lot of things, but laying down is not something that I'm ever going to be like, ah, it's okay. No, no, no. We got some quit in us, and that's the disappointing part for me. That's not Bulldog baseball. And everybody says, hey, if I'd played, I've had some former players tell me, hey, if that had happened when we were out there, it would have been trouble. I had one Bulldog from a 2013 team message me and said, uh, we wouldn't have had to do anything because Wes Ray would have took care of it, Right? Jonathan Holder would have took care of it. You can say, but Steve, you know, that's just old school baseball. You know what? Here's the deal with every bit of that. You absolutely cannot let somebody punk you out like that, period. If I had been on, the, on that dugout, I would be suspended today. Or I'd have been Parker Sinet. And again, I don't know if Parker did anything. I just know that he was identified. This is nonsense. This is absolute non. You cannot let people play you weak, period. And we did. We did. Now, we, there were some guys that spoke up, again, but the reality of it is that, that's a bad moment. It's almost as bad as the score to me. This program means an awful lot to me. I know it does to you as well. And the fact that a program like Kentucky, and all due respect to Nick Mangione, their program has no tradition. The only SEC championship they ever won, John Cohen won for him as their coach. We're going to let those guys punk us out? It's one thing if it had been LSU with all their NAFL championships. We're going to let Kentucky punk us out? No. No. This is a call to arms, Diamond Dogs. Top of seven. It's just really academic at this point. Uh, Clark gets on the fielding air, Heifel grounds into a double play, and then Chester flies out to left. And, and I'll be honest with you, we take the field against Arkansas State on Tuesday. I think Nate Chester, Aaron Downs needs to be at third base. Period. Period. There's a lot more I could say about this. I'm not going to. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. It was not a good experience. And by any stretch of the imagination, I had a great meal Saturday night. That's really the best. That, in fact, my wife was with me. is the only thing I can feel good about. Uh, a couple guys had some big swings. Hunter Hines swung it pretty well. Kellum Clark swung it pretty well. Uh, there's not enough fight in this team. 
I'm just going to say it. There's not enough fight in this team. And as a guy that was a former coach and a former player, it's up to you. The coach can't want it for everybody. As a player, you got to want it. People say, well, you know, teams are, you know, they take on the personality of their coach. There's some truth in that. It's true. But at the end of the day, it's me, right? It's about me and how I feel about myself and my team and my program and my teammates. I played for some guys in the past that were really down to earth. Didn't have a whole lot to say during the ball games. Didn't get really emotional. They were great baseball coaches, but they were not guys that handled those kind of situations very well. I'll just go back and get in the dugout. Now, maybe I'm too thin-skinned because I was born in South Mississippi. I know from being from South Mississippi, here's what I know. If I had flipped the bat towards a pitcher, I know that I'm not coming back up in this ball game. but I know this. I would fear for the safety of my teammate that had to step in there next. Because you don't disrespect people. You don't disrespect the game like that. You want to beat somebody and, and just absolutely tear their, their roster apart and rip their hearts out and score, you know, beat them 14 runs, then you go do that. But you don't do that. You respect the game. You respect your opponent. And, and at some point, the karma will come. It's true. The karma will come. But, um, again, Evan Sierra, really the only bright spot on the pitching staff uh, on Sunday. You know, again, I thought Gardman was really good the first time through the order, but uh, you know, things just kind of fell apart. And uh, we pitched it pretty well on Friday. I mean, outside of the 4 nothing inning that we gave him with Gerangelo, and, uh, and he's going to be fine. I'm not being critical of him. He's going to be good, right? But, um, you know, I think you got to think about, you know, maybe putting Nate Dome on the weekend. I think Nate's got to be a starter at this point. We got to get some guys healthy. We do. We got to get Pico back. We got to get Kate Smith back. At least I know those guys are going to compete. Right, they're gonna go challenge and, and pump the strikes on, and they're gonna make you go out there and hit your way on. And maybe you do, but those guys, when healthy, uh, give us a better chance to win a ball game than some of what we're trotting out there right now. And we need Aaron, Aaron Nixon to get healthy so we can do have a little more creativity with Nate Dome. Nate is a guy that can pitch, absolutely can, and we got to utilize him. We do not have a shutdown weekend guy. Perhaps it could be him. Perhaps it could be. Bulldogs back in action tomorrow night against Arkansas State. Uh, first pitch set for 6 p.m. We expect Bradley Lofton to get a start there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, people say, Steve, well, how do you feel? Well, I'm, I'm unhappy. How could, how could anybody defend the product they saw on the field this weekend? I know our players are unhappy. I know our coaches are unhappy. But I don't know at this point if anybody's more unhappy than our fans. Because, it's like, hey, you know, last year was a tough year. We gave you a little grace because we won an AFL championship in 2021. And now here we are again. You know, you got the portal in a recruiting class to bring in all this influx of talent. You got to wait. You got to fix it. And we get outscored 29 to 6 in the last two ball games. Are you kidding me? Kentucky football couldn't do that. It's embarrassing. It is. It's a long way to go, for sure. But this weekend cannot be repeated, period. Absolutely, period. And, and I used to tell guys, too, even going back coaching middle school ball and younger, I don't care if they get a hit. Don't walk them. Make them earn their way on. And the fact that we're having to kind of illustrate that principle in the Southeastern Conference is something that's very concerning. All right, time for today's top ten list. It's brought to you, as always, by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair Chandler is my friend, your friend. He is a friend to all those in need when it comes to mortgage lending. 
and other things. I mean, he's not just a one-trick pony. I mean, Blair's a good dude, right? I mean, Blair's bought my meal more than once. I'm always up for a free meal from Blair or anybody else, right? Uh, but listen, visit Blair at closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. And learn more about the products that he offers. You're looking to refinance your home, looking for a new home. That's probably the, the direction most people are kind of going in right now. It's like, you know, hey, I, I'm ready to get off the hamster wheel of rent to own or renting period, right? Uh, a friend of mine just told me, he said, you know, man, I've been in this apartment for seven years, paying 1200 bucks a month, and every year my rent goes up. And at the end of the day, I've got nothing to show for this. I've got to put that money in a home and have some equity in the home, have an investment. I don't have that. Yeah, I moved down here, and I thought, oh, this will be a temporary thing. You end up getting stuck there and making somebody else rich. Work on yourself. Put some generational wealth together. Give your, your, your children a home to come home to. Reach out to Blair today at 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. Let him know you heard about him on the boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. Top 1%, close ratio in the country, back-to-back years. Blair's a, he's a dude. He is. He's a Bulldog fan. Got a place here in Starkville. Season ticket holder, multiple sports. He's doing business one of your own. But you don't have to be a Bulldog to get a good deal with Blair. Closewithblair.com. All right, so it's interesting. You know, I, I'm a guy, too, that uh, I kind of listen to my regular stuff. And every so often, like, I listen to a lot of Octane this weekend. I love a lot of the new blood on Octane. I do. If you are a serious XM subscriber, that's 37 on your radio dial. I love to hear the new stuff. I love Katie Babs, Shannon Guns, the whole crew up there. They do a great job kind of keeping you abreast of what's happening because these aren't just people hired to do a job. They're actually part of the scene, so they always kind of know what's going on. So I enjoy learning about new bands, a lot of new stuff. Uh, Sleep Token's a band. It's great. And there's what? Sleep Theory, I guess, is another one. A uh, lot of good new bands, and uh, I'm enjoying learning about them. Now, that said, I get in a car on Thursday. And uh, I don't know what happened. It was almost like it was destiny. And I don't want to overstate that or use too much hyperbole. But So I get in the car and I plug in my phone and uh, the song comes on. I'm like, hey, this is pretty cool. Another, another new band on uh, Octane. So I listened to the song and I was like, I wish I could listen to it again. What was the name of that? Lo and behold, I realized I'm on my own Apple Music. And at some point I had downloaded this album. I don't even remember what song I downloaded it for. But I was so impressed with the song. I'm like, hey, I never heard this song before. Told the wife about it. Hey, listen to this. It's outstanding. And then on the road to Kentucky, we listened to the entire album. I was very impressed. They're going to be your number one song today. So the name of the song is Secrets. Now, one of the things about recovery, one of the uh, most profound things I've ever heard is that you're only as sick as your secrets. So I try not to keep any. That's not to say that I haven't in the past. I have. It's an exhausting life right? Living life a way you're not supposed to. And, and I'm, I'm even talking about in recovery. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, back when I was just, you know, a stick up kid, whatever, you know, but the reality of it is, you know, you know, keeping secrets of the negative variety eat away at your soul. They do. And it's like, and you have to live a lie. You have to look people in the eye and tell them things that aren't true about yourself. And so, I thought, you know what? I like this song so much. Let's kind of put a let's put a list together. We'll do a song, the list about secrets, right? So that's what it's about today. And I can tell you, um, I work a program of rigorous honesty. That's that's what I do. We talk about that all the time in recovery. 
you work a program of rigorous honesty. And it's not just honesty to others, it's honesty with yourself. And like, I, it's interesting to these people that say, I don't want to live a lie, but, but they do. And so it's important to be our authentic self. But uh, it is a very rewarding and free experience to know that nobody has anything over you, right? That nobody has any ammunition that they can use to knife you in the back with or cause demise or drama in your life. It's a wonderful way to live. So I encourage you, don't live with secrets. And if you, and it's like I heard somebody say this years ago, if you can't tell your mama about it, you probably shouldn't do it, right? Same thing with your spouse. You know, if there's a relationship out there, whether it be a, a, a quote, friendship or whatever, you know, it's a big thing nowadays. If there's relationships you're keeping, you can't tell your spouse about it, it's probably not a relationship you need to be in, period. All right, so here we go. Top 10 secret songs. Number 10, you know, back in the day when I wore Rayon shirts, and and I do still wear Jabot, uh, but uh, Jabot jeans and Timberlands, and I still wear Timberlands because I'm a product of my environment, but uh, a lot of Rayon shirts and Jakar, some people laugh when they hear that. I always joke that there's probably some Rayon shirts in my closet back home in Columbia, Mississippi, just, uh, you know, drenched in Jakar and regret. But I was a huge Babyface fan, and um, I'll tell you, Babyface took R&B, in many respects, from the urban channels, is what we called them back in the 1900s, into the mainstream. Babyface was a pioneer in many respects, an incredible songwriter, an incredible producer, and he had a great song years ago called Never Keeping Secrets, and it's about reconciliation. It's like, hey, listen, I made a, I made a mistake, I messed up, I'm never keeping secrets again, I'm not going to live lies. It is a great R&B song. If you're unfamiliar with it, I'd encourage you to check it out. Babyface. I don't know if you've ever done a Babyface Top 10. Maybe we should. Maybe we should, Roy. Maybe check the Boneyard archives and see if we've done Babyface. I think we have. Maybe we haven't. All right, number nine is Maroon 5, a song called Secret. And again, it's like two people in a relationship, but they're in different places in a relationship. Somebody's ready to go more, and somebody's ready to pull back. And, and so there's this underlying secret. And again, I encourage you not to keep any. Honesty is always the best policy, no matter what anybody says, does, or, or tries to suggest. you got to be honest. But be honest with yourself. Honest with your mate. Number eight, Sarah McLaughlin's Dirty Little Secret. This is the one where you know she is the protagonist uh, in her song where there's some things about her past that her new uh, relationship finds out about. And so she wonders if she can salvage a relationship now that the truth is known. And again, that's drama you don't need in your life. Just tell the truth. Number seven, it's a reversal of uh, roles here. It's Madonna's song, Secret, that was a huge hit, former number one. We haven't done a lot of Madonna on the show, despite the fact that she's uh, you know, a worldwide superstar. A little bit weird these days, but uh, you know the song Secret of hers. I mean, my baby's got a secret. You know, It's one of those deals where everything is good, and next thing you know, you find out things are not as you expect them to be. And uh, that's one of those things, too. If you can't trust to know what's true in your own life, that's a miserable place. All right, number six, going back a couple of generations here. I'm saying that to make my, my good friend feel old, but uh, we got the Beatles on here. Do you want to know a secret? It's like all the other Beatles songs, right? They're fantastic. Just not a lot of, not a lot of uh, thin soup in the Beatles catalog. All right, number five, it's heart. It's heart secret. The great rock band Heart, and uh, it's Anna and Nancy Wilson. 
They had some huge hits in the late 80s. You know, they, 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 were, they were big in the 70s, kind of disappeared for a while, got to do management, I think a new record deal, and they came back, next thing you know, heart was bigger and better than ever. They were amazing, still amazing. And I encourage you, too, if you've never seen their, uh, their cover of uh, Led Up on Stairway to Heaven at the Ford uh, Center Presents event, you can find it on YouTube. It's amazing. And uh, John Paul Jones, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, all in attendance sitting up in the balcony. Can you imagine how much, how much anxiety was associated with that performance? You're, you're performing their signature tune and they're in attendance. Jason Bonham was on the drums. It was amazing. I watch it from time to time. If it ever pops up on the reels, I'll just watch it again, right? It's kind of like the Elijah McNamee home run against Stanford. Anytime it shows up, I have to watch it four or five times. All right, number four, a obscure band that maybe you don't know much about. And uh, so when many of you, like, so I told you this before, back in the, in the 1900s, when, uh, so when a lot of my favorite metal bands kind of went mainstream, I kind of went more underground. Like, I would still be true to them, but, you know, like, if, of all the prep kids with their tight rolled jeans and Dexters and Izod Church, all of a sudden they were into what was on MTV, and so I had to go a little bit deeper, and so... Uh, there was a band that I picked up on years ago, and I still listen to this album from time to time, uh, fronted by a guy named Davey Vane, had long red hair. There's one of my favorite tracks on that album, and it's a little more, it, it's got a little punk influence into it. It's not necessarily 80s hair metal, uh, but it's a song called Secrets from the band Vane off the album No Respect. It's a great album. It's, it's very raw. It's kind of unrefined, and again, it's got a little bit of a punk element to it. Uh, but Davey Vane probably underappreciated as a singer and a songwriter. Uh, if you're looking for something maybe from back in the day, a little more obscure, I would go to them because I was a guy I was in you know the Sea Hags and all that kind of stuff. It's all a little bit different. But Vane, one of my favorite songs about secrets. And it's about my secrets. All right, number three, All American Rejects. Now again, this is again about keeping a secret, and not that we're big proponents of that. It's still a very catchy tune. I'll keep you my dirty little secret. Not good to keep those, but uh, kind of some uh, you know radio rock here. All American Rejects were good. Move Along is my favorite All American Rejects song. Maybe it's different for you, but Move Along is good. I love the percussion on that. I can actually play it on drums, or I could at one point. But uh, Dirty Little Secret from All American Rejects. That's your number three track today. All right, number two. I really dig this band. They're not really in my normal vein of favorites. But uh, I think the guys at One Republic are very, very, very talented. And, and you, you would know that because, they, you know, you see all these venues they play at, it's capacity. And we're going to go with the track Secrets. Obviously, it fits our theme today. Number one, though, and this is a band from New Zealand, again, that I am, at some point, I liked them enough to download an album and never got back to it. But now that I have listened to it, I think, where were these, where have I, where have I been? How has this not been... A bigger part of my life i love finding new bands like usually you hear like a single and you're like oh this song is really good you listen to the album it's like oh, nothing else really matches quality wise it's a band called written by wolves and the song is secrets it is a big percussion song it's uh almost got a little bit of an r&b beat to it uh with uh, a modern rock vocal and the song itself is what it talks about everybody's got something they're hiding Everybody, me, you, everybody. And you don't want it to get out there. And the people that say they're not, they're lying. Everybody's got something, right? 
It may be something minor, maybe something moderately embarrassing, maybe something that could be life-changing for you and other people. So again, as your good friend and host, I encourage you, don't live a life of secrets, period. Don't keep secrets from people that you love. That's the kind of stuff that'll get you drunk, man. Stuff that'll make you miserable and make everybody around you miserable. There's just no point living that way. And so, but anyway, I thought we would have a little fun with that. And uh, so that's your top 10 secret songs. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. Best way to do that is on social media. You can hit up me and Roy. I'm at all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. And uh, Roy's at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And you can find our great list on Spotify also at Dogmatic67. Uh, reach out and let us know and appreciate your support. Every time I, Everywhere I go, whether it be a ball game, we congregate with Bulldog fans, somebody always says, hey, I'm a fan of the top ten list. I've learned a lot, and I enjoy having these uh, lists to listen to. Because it kind of breaks up a drive. You know, it's like I, I listen on my podcast. I'm looking for something to listen to. Instead of having to search, I put on Roy's list. And we have a good time. We've had some lists, man, that have gone over 20,000, 30,000. It's crazy. It's nuts, man. I don't know how that happens, but it does. And I thank Roy for it. was his idea to put all this together. So there you go, your top 10 list uh, for today. Next segment of the show brought to you, as always, by Campus Bookmart. Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. Go by and check them out next time you're in town. Uh, Miss Kathy Brown does such a fantastic job outfitting that store with new Mississippi State merch. You don't have to just depend on you know what you see. Everybody else wear. There's a lot of selection there. They've expanded a selection because the bully shop has been completely renovated. Everything is upstairs now. It's that entire floor, wall to wall with maroon and white merchandise. Go by and check it out. You can outfit your home, your family, your wardrobe, your office, your car, whatever you need. Mississippi State merch, they got it. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. All right, Mississippi State women saw their season come to an end yesterday, and it's really sad. I, we expected it. We knew we were going to have to play an exceptional basketball game. And we nearly did. We played a really good game, very competitive. I give Coach Sam Purcell and them a ton of credit, man. It's like we, we got on a road and we were able to pick it up at the half. And uh, I was so proud of the fight that our ladies showed. Outstanding effort. Uh, it's, it's a one-point game after one. And then all of a sudden you get to the break and you look up. It's a three-point game at the half. We're one possession away on the road against a team that's got more talent than us. It's number three seed, three seed in the tournament, uh, playing in front of like 4,600 people. And so, not that we're not prepared for that, but the reality of it is, is this should be a situation where you know, Notre Dame probably should have came out and dominated us. But the Lady Bulldogs said no. And matter of fact, State took a lead to open the game, 2 nothing. We didn't lead again. I don't think the rest of the game. And if we did, it was really, really late. And, and real quickly here, we'll look at that. Uh, because that third period there, towards the end of the third period, they had a chance to kind of they had a chance to kind of put us away a little bit here. But they uh we miss a three-pointer, and then Lauren Ebo grabs it, and then uh Debrisha Poe steals it, and we we knock down a basket here. So instead of it being a double-digit lead. 
we've cut it to eight, and that's really what sparked our run in the fourth. I thought, again, that late possession, that great hustle play kind of got us going. Next thing you know, Courtney Weber rams home a three. It's a five-point game, and all of a sudden, the Bulldogs are ratcheting up the pressure on defense. We force an ill-advised three. We get a rebound, go down. It is now a three-point game, and then Courtney Weber with 6.50 to go, drills a three to give State a tie. It's now 41-41. Notre Dame kind of got going then. You know, it's a two-point game. It's a one-point game. Courtney Weber makes a couple free throws right at the four-minute mark that ties the game at 43, and you start thinking, man, maybe we might be able to do this. A couple free throws for them and a jumper by Sonia Citron. That, that, uh, and we did a good job defensing her, but, uh, you know, she's going to have her stay late, but it puts them up four points and eventually five, and Courtney Weber makes a, makes a basket um, to cut it to three with a minute to go, and we just we simply couldn't get any closer. Until, you know, the game was a sense we decided we had to foul. Uh, Lauren Ebo makes one, misses one, makes it a four-point game. We had a chance down low. The layup didn't fall. They caught a block. Jessica Carter was furious. They didn't give us a foul call there. They probably should have. Uh, And then later we get it back. We go down Jessica Carter. We can't make it. Uh, we end up having a foul to make a couple free throws. It's now a six-point game with 13 seconds to go. And then Alana Smith makes a three-point basket to make it 51-48. So we got to get a steal here, three seconds to go. you got to get a steal. We can't. We end up fouling to make a couple free throws that are academic. That said, great year by the Bulldogs considering what we have come from. First year with a new coach, kind of a makeshift roster in many respects. you got Jessica Carter playing again, uh, getting more out of her than we have in the past. And, uh, you know, State wins the fourth quarter 15-12, to 12, but ultimately uh, lose the ball game. Really decisive quarter was that third quarter where they were making the big run. And, that again, I go back to Poe making that great play to end the quarter. That really sparked us, kind of gave us a little life late. But the Lady Bulldogs in the year 22-11. and 11, uh, We win the play-in game and a first-round game. Uh, so the round of 32, we don't advance against Notre Dame on their home floor. But in no way – do I feel anyway disappointed in this season or in this team or the tra- trajectory of this program? If I had told you guys at the beginning of the year both of your teams would make the tournament, you would take it no matter what the outcome was in the big dance because we knew it would be a step forward in the right direction. Uh, look at the numbers here real quickly. Final box score of the year. Jessica Carter with 8.6 rebounds. Uh, Alana Smith, seven points, and of course, at three late in the ballgame. It took forever for either team to make a three-point basket, and Courtney Weber is the one that kind of lifted the lid there. She had a couple big threes off the bench with 14 points to lead Mississippi State. Big game for her. Also pulled down four rebounds. And, uh, you know, we kind of did it by committee, but uh, this is just one of those scrappy games. You shoot 15% from the three-point line, you think, man, we're going to get blown out. Uh, Notre Dame was over. 0 for 7. And they're a team, much different team than Creighton. You know, they want to play a little more, uh, you know, outside in. And they got us a little bit. Lauren Ebo, we knew it was going to be a problem. 18 rebounds for her. We got beat on the glass a lot. Uh, Maddie Westbald had 15. I mean, anytime that you've got two two ladies double-digit rebounding, that's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And uh, – Sonia Citron stated a good job against her, made most of her points late at the free throw line. She's 2 of 12 from the field, played all 40 minutes. A dozen points, or excuse me, 10 points from the free throw line. So, again, at the end of the day, it's all academic. 
but we have something to build upon here with Sam Purcell. And we expected them to make the tournament. They did. We felt a little disrespected to get to play in the game. We won that handily, and then we took care of Creighton, a number six seed. Bit of an upset there. Wasn't an upset in our minds. Uh, wasn't a good matchup for them. And then we go out there and give Notre Dame all they want and then some. And they advanced to the Sweet 16. So congratulations to the Fighting Irish. We're still a little bit salty about the, the call on Morgan William or non-call on Morgan William. But the reality of it is, is we have a lot to be proud of. Basketball season now officially over here in Starkville, Mississippi. We'll get ready to do it all again uh, here in a few months. Uh, excited about the future. And you should be as well. Uh, a lot of people are curious about, you know, signing Chris Jans to an extension. You know, obviously you, you want to roll those guys over every year. Uh, since we get information about that, we'll share that with you. And a lot of people, a lot of speculation out there. A lot of people are trying to suggest that uh, he's not happy here. You know, I don't have a personal relationship with him. Uh, Paul Jones, of course, uh, covers the team uh, extensively. And, uh, you know, talking to some people in administration, we just don't have any indication of that. You know, it's a lot of people. Of course, it's the first thing people, people they don't, they hate Starkville. I love Starkville. I do. I, I chose to move my family here. I wasn't just born here and just happened to stay here to happenstance. I moved my family up here and I love it even more than I expected to. But it's not for everybody. But guys, Chris Jones, Chris Jans, excuse me, Chris Jans grew up on a, you know, double wide trailer on a gravel road. I got, give me a break. You know, a lot of these people think they know what they're talking about. Sometimes people just want to talk. But uh, I'm excited about the future. And I'm, I'm sad that it's over. I'm, I'm proud that we made it, but I'm sad that it's over. It would have been so great to continue to watch. And uh, you know, I enjoyed watching our Arkansas beat Kansas the other day. That was great. And maybe in basketball, that would be the only time I kind of root for everybody else. But, um, you know, the reality, in football, I never do. I never root for the SEC teams in bowl games unless they're playing for an NFL championship. But uh, I wanted to make the playoffs because we could use the money. But – when it comes to the NCAA tournament, you know, I guess maybe I feel a little more kinship with the SEC schools, but um, some of them. But I'm proud. I'm, I'm proud of what we've accomplished. And I think if we had known in advance this is how it was going to end up, we'd say, you know what, hey, it's a good first step for both Purcell and Jans. And uh, so I encourage you to be thinking about next year, and uh, there'll be a lot of offseason moves. There will be. There'll be some roster management stuff that has to happen. So new players will come in, and we'll keep you abreast of all that over at jeanspage.com. If you're not a member, you certainly should be. Uh, be sure and go by and, and check that out. All right, final segment of the show brought to you, as always, by Portico. I've told you guys a million times, if I was moving to Starkville now, there would be no decision to make. I would move to Portico. 1.1 miles from all things maroon and white. That's how close you'd be to campus. Close enough for convenience, far enough away to have a little privacy, tucked away in a nice old neighborhood, easy to get to, turn off 82 on 12, like going to campus, very first ride, it's Pat Station Road. You go through the four-way stoppers, portico on the right-hand side. Go by next time you're in town, give yourself a self-guided tour, but maybe it's time that you started getting serious about this. You've always wanted to move back to Starkville or have a place here. Look no further than Portico. Hit up our friend Brooks Bryan at 601-416-8075. Again, at 601-416-8075. And listen, Brooks is a guy, too, that loves Mississippi State, loves Starville. He's part of a great group of developers bringing this wonderful residential complex to our wonderful city. And whether you're a part-time resident or full-time resident, Portico has a plan for you. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and anything in between. 
If you need a custom build, Kerry and those guys can take care of you. More than happy to do it. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two under development. Many of those homes are sold, but there are a couple available. There are also some lots that are available. So if you need a custom build or you want to pick out your lot and your house plan, you can have some say in that. Uh, again, give, give Brooks a call. Make Portico your next move. Let's take a quick look around the SEC uh, in baseball. Over the weekend, South Carolina swept Georgia. Can't say I expected that. I thought maybe Georgia would get one. I, you know, South Carolina, a, a team that continues to intrigue me. They're 20-1 overall. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't sold on them in the preseason, but uh, they're making a believer out of me. Kentucky, of course, uh, sweeps Mississippi State. Missouri, the most surprising result in the country. Missouri sweeps Tennessee. Sweeps Tennessee. Did you see that coming? What's happening at Tennessee? Things aren't going as well as people expected. I think we have to maybe recalibrate our expectations of that team. But Missouri gets some 9-1-7-4-7-1. None of those are flukes, man. It's not like they beat them 1-0 on a pass ball or something. You go out there and you put up 23 runs on a weekend against Tennessee and sweep the series. Are you kidding me? What a great result for Missouri baseball. Outstanding. You go back and you look at this. You know, Tennessee opened the year and lost two, right? They lost the first two, then they come back and beat California, San Diego. And then they reel off this great winning streak. They lose to Boston College. And everybody says, well, you know, it's a midweek game. It'll be okay. And then they beat up a few, you know, you know, Midwestern teams. And then they go to Missouri and get absolutely thumped. Crazy. All of a sudden you look up and these guys have lost six games and you're thinking – Maybe they're not the invincible thing we thought. And then and they get A&M this weekend. Crazy, man. Vanderbilt takes uh, three in Nashville from Ole Miss. And uh, Ole Miss, of course, holds the distinction of being the first team to be 10-run ruled under the new format. And then we join that club on Sunday. And Vanderbilt will be your opponent this weekend at Duty Noble Field. And Vanderbilt's a team that has struggled to score. They had no trouble scoring against Ole Miss. And uh, maybe that says something about Ole Miss's pitching. Just not sure. And, again, the, the Hunter Elliott mystery is one of those things. You know, it depends on who you want to believe. There's a lot of people that say, oh, it's going to be okay. Other people saying, you know what, uh, he's probably done. We'll see. Depends on who you want to believe. And uh, you wish the best for the young man, regardless of a rivalry or anything like that. Uh, Florida takes two of three from Alabama. They end up playing a doubleheader on Friday. They, they started on Thursday, played two on Friday. Alabama wins game three of that series. Uh, so interesting week for the East. Is uh, The East absolutely kind of beat up on the West. Uh, Arkansas, a three-game sweep over Auburn. LSU takes two of three from Texas A&M. We've already discussed Alabama and uh, really everybody else. But um, the results, you know, not great. If you're in the West, Arkansas, the only team to escape the weekend unscathed, even LSU, number one LSU, dropped a game to A&M. And this is how the league's going to be. And if you're Arkansas, uh, you get Auburn at your place. And again, Auburn's offense is when it's interesting, shall we say. But you know they're going to be able to pitch it. You know they're going to be able to pitch. But four sweeps for the SEC East. Four. Now, of course, two of those came against other SEC East teams, but uh, I don't think we expected to see that. I really thought Ole Miss would take the series against Vanderbilt. 
and and not necessarily you know just because of it's you know it's Ole Miss. I think that they have played pretty well. But the reality of it is, I just didn't think that Vanderbilt would be able to piece up piece up enough offense to win. They 10-run rule Ole Miss on Thursday. They beat them 8-0 on Friday and then in 7-2 ball game on Saturday. And Ole Miss actually had the lead in that game. You get outscored 27-4. It's a tough weekend. Tough, tough weekend for sure. Let's take a quick look at what the weekend did to the uh, D1 baseball standings as it relates to SEC teams. LSU hangs on the number one. They were 3-1 and one last week. They should have stayed number one. 18-2 overall. I mean, when you win your weekend series, you, you should, should stay there. Uh, Florida up to number three. Vanderbilt makes a little bit of a jump here as they uh, sweep Ole Miss, who was the former number three team in the country. They move from six to four after a perfect four and a week. Arkansas moves from seven to five. We got to go down a little bit further. Tennessee drops from number two. Excuse me, I, I skipped right over South Carolina. I'm sorry. South Carolina moves up from sixteen to eleven. And then Tennessee drives from 2 to 12, Ole Miss from 3 to 13. And then you get a little bit lower there. A&M drops from 15 to 21. Missouri goes from unranked to 21st. Kentucky from unranked to 23rd. And then Alabama drops out of the polls. Not surprised with that. Again, I think Alabama's a bit of a fraud. And I think that, uh, you know, that's a series we got to win. But uh, I'm not going to look ahead at the schedule too much right now. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you know, Steve, who would be favored to beat? It's a long season, and you never know from week to week who's going to be healthy and how that's all going to play out. All I know is this. Is Mississippi State plays an intercollegiate baseball game tomorrow against Arkansas State. we got to win the game. And they have not played well. They've lost, what, six in a row. They were swept over the weekend uh, by uh, Louisiana. It's always the next game. And, you know, Vanderbilt's going to come in here and they're going to be, you know, full of piss and vinegar and be ready to go. And and uh, they've swept us here before. You know, we've swept them before too. But the reality of it is, is we're going to have our hands full this weekend. We need to get through Arkansas State. We need Bradley Lofton to go out there and give us a good start. Let's get a W. And then we'll see what happens this weekend. I mean, you never know. Things can flip. You never know if some guys can get healthy. Hopefully the weather is good this weekend. Matter of fact, we'll check that right now because you know that 10-day forecast is available to everybody, which is not always a good thing. But uh, it's going to be more baseball weather this weekend. We begin a series on Friday. There is a chance of rain, but there's a high of 82. And its first pitch is 6 p.m. Friday night. Vanderbilt uh, Saturday game is a 2 p.m. game, and the uh, highs in the 70s, the same for Sunday. So it should be a much more pleasant weekend than we've had this past weekend, not just in Starkville, but certainly in Lexington. I had somebody tell me that uh, Missouri and Kentucky should never open SEC play at home. There's probably some truth to that. But uh, one of the Kentucky guys told me that uh, they complained about that for years and years. And so rather than them get an SEC West team or somebody from the warm weather, they gave them Missouri. (laughs) Funny how that works. Uh, but that, but either way, we've got to go out and have a good week. And so, you know, like Bo Bounds asked me today, Steve, are you just trying to get one? No, you're trying to win the series. You're trying to sweep the series. You got to go out there and try to win every game, you know. And so we'll see how things progress. But State opens up a nine-game homestand on Tuesday. And you just never know what's going to happen between now and then. And then our next road trip, of course, will be uh, to Alabama. That's April the 6th. That'll turn it over. And that'll be, that'll be a day trip for us. We'll just go back and forth. And Ole Miss comes in for a Super Bulldog weekend. Travel to Auburn 
and uh, we traveled to Tennessee. My wife had working in Oxford for a little bit, so I have somewhere to stay. Be nice. And then the final road trip is uh, down to LSU. And so you start looking at it and you start thinking, okay, we've, we get 10 of these series and uh, four road trips, and they're all rather reasonable. Uh, going to Knoxville, you never know what that team's going to look like by the time we get there. So it is a long season. And while it feels so comfortable to go ahead and push the panic button, and, and listen, there's reason for that. There's reason to support that. I just remind you it's a long season. Remember 2018, we were so ready for college baseball to be over. You remember that? How brutal that was? And we ended up going to Omaha. I'm not going to sit here and forecast that for this team. It's just proof positive that college baseball is a long season. That 18 team ended up 15-15. and 15. We had to sweep Florida to get in, but we did. We figured it out. Had a couple of big sweeps that year. You know, we swept uh, Arkansas at our place, top 10 team. Swept Ole Miss. It's always nice. Always nice. Swept Florida. And then we went one and done in the tournament. We got in a regional and found our way to Omaha. We went to Vanderbilt and won a super regional. I remember I was just so happy to be in the tournament. And so the difference is, I think, you know, those ball games we had back then, it was really more about offensive issues than it was pitching issues, right? And we got hammered that first Friday, of course, at, at Southern Miss. But um, our issues were not necessarily related uh, when we got an SEC play to pitching. We just couldn't score. And we finally kind of figured some things out. Of course, we also had some alpha dogs on that team. And you go back and you look at that first series against Vanderbilt that that, that 2018 year, you know, we scored four runs on a weekend. We went, ended up in Omaha. Yeah. Then we, uh, we lose two out of three in Missouri. We scored eight runs on a weekend. LSU, we win a game against those guys down in Baton Rouge. But we scored five runs on a weekend. You know, and so it's like you look at, yeah, you say the teams in some respect are similar when it comes to maybe expectations. And even though we were, we were a worse team at this point in the year then, and the reality of it is we were dealing with a crisis back then. But things can change. What if Pico comes back and is able to shove? What if Kate Smith comes back and returns to form? What if Aaron Nixon comes back and is ready to go? That's a lot of ifs, right? There's a bunch of them. But we got to get some guys healthy, which will enable us not to maybe count on some of these younger guys as much as we do. And not to mention we're trying some guys out there uh, that just aren't getting it done. And you can't keep rewarding that. And that's what happens when you've got a limited roster. At some point, you just kind of got to, you know, take it for what it is. And so getting some new guys, some experienced arms back on the hill would be big for Mississippi State baseball. Now, we're also back into spring football. That's important, too. Let's not forget that. And uh, that'll be a nice distraction, you know, if baseball doesn't go the way we expect. And, uh, you know, again, it's one of those things in baseball we are not used to losing. We're not, and we're not going to put up with it, right? I mean, that's just, as a fan base, we're just not going to do it. There'll be a lot of people that give a lot of money. They're going to be calling, hey, you know, this, this just can't happen. You know, we all love the Diamond Dogs, but it's one of those things. It's like, at the end of the day, we expect excellence from our baseball program, and we've had it. And people forget we went to the Supers 17, excuse me, 16, 17, 18, 19, and we had a good team in 20. Of course, the season gets canceled. And you go back in 2021, I mean, you know, we have grown accustomed to being a team that's in contention to go to Omaha. And these are the glory years of Mississippi State baseball. People would say, oh, but Steve, no, no, no. It's the truth. 
best stretch of postseason play in program history, and, you, and it culminates with an AFL championship. And last year was abysmal. And like this, right now, we're afraid that this year is going to be a whole lot more like last year than it was 2018. But again, it's a long season. Now, spring football is here, and there's a few things I want to point out to you, too. A few things that I'm really watching to see between now and beginning of the season. The first thing is offensive line adjustments. I asked Kevin Barbet about that. We had our pressure with him. Outstanding guy. Uh, I love the new coaches we've got that have come in. They're all very articulate, well-spoken, and they look you in the eye when they're talking to you, and that means a lot to me. I, I appreciate people with authenticity. But how is our offensive line going to handle? Number one, we got two offensive line coaches, so that's different, right? You've got interior guy, then you've got off, out, a tackle guy that's also doing the tight end, so that's different. Different alignments, different splits. How are we going to handle that? Guys who are recruited to play in a different offense with different expectations of the offensive line, how do we handle that transition? I think that is one of the most important things, probably the most important thing on offense. Also going to be a lot more run blocking. Number two, secondary. You know Emmanuel Forbes is going on. Jackie Matthews is gone. So many others are gone. Colin Duncan. We're going to have to revamp his secondary. You got some athletes. You got Sean Preston back. You got some guys back that got a little bit of experience for you. Sean's got a bunch of experience. But we got to rebuild a secondary. We didn't have to do that last year. I mean, you feel like D-Cam's probably the next big thing at corner. And so you feel like Sean Preston, obviously, he's a guy that'll be a solid two deeper, if not a starter for you. And you went out and you got all these guys out of the portal. You know, how quickly can they acclimate to the system? The good thing is there's continuity on defense. You know, we've got, you know, of course, we've made a little bit of a change out there on the coaching aspect. But as far as the scheme itself, that hadn't changed. So you'll have the, the other players that can kind of help coach you up in that respect. But the secondary, I think we're going to be really good in the front. Really good at linebackers, you guys expect. You know, Bookie Watson, of course, and Jed Johnson back. got to keep everybody healthy. And Jed, of course, is still kind of a spectator of sorts during spring. But we got to get this secondary rebuilt. That's the most important thing on defense. Wide receiver play. How are we going to utilize wide receivers in this new scheme? Will we finally move Tula Griffin to slot where he should have been all along? I suspect so. Hearing Kevin Barbet talk, we're going to move everybody around so we're not predictable. You never know where we're going to line people up. We may bring him on a jet sweep. We may have him throw it. We may have him return it as a kickoff guy. We don't ever know. But I love Barbet's approach to this. Who are my 11 players? What scheme do you want to run? What are my, who am I left best 11? I'll, I'll tailor the offense around them. There are some fundamental foundational standards with this offense, but it can be tailored to your personnel, which makes it a little more dynamic in many respects. I think Woody really benefits from this. I think Woody's going to have a big year. I think a lot of people in the SEC don't know how good Woody Marks is, and I think this year we'll show them that. Uh, number four thing on my list is Will Rogers. You know what Will Rogers can do? And uh, I asked Zach Arnett. We had the um, signing day presser. It's like, hey, what do you, you know, what do you expect, Will Rogers? You know, how do, how will he handle the change? And he said, you know, the the concepts in the passing game are very similar to what we have run. We're just going to run the football a little bit more. We're going to run some different formations. We're going to be a little more multiple in many respects. But the expectation of Will Rogers doesn't really change. Now, I think what does change is audibles at the line. You know, you're going to have a lot different audible package when you're not lining up in four and five wides, right? Or you're going to have, you know, single back sets. You're going to have a lot of things that are different. And so 
Will Rogers, I saw him recently. We had a chance to talk. He said he, that he's up to speed on what the expectations are. He's kind of working to get everybody else on the same page. Uh, so I feel comfortable hearing my quarterback say that. Of course, you wouldn't expect him to say anything otherwise, but this was in a private conversation. Okay? Um, so I share that with you. But, you know, how does Will acclimate to the new scheme? How does it work around his skill set? And it's like based on what you know about Barbe and, and his own philosophy, he's going to do the things – that allow the attributes of Will Rogers to shine. And then you've got Mike Wright that's coming here that uh, provides some competition, but also, too, some different packages for you. And so uh, how does Will handle all that? I mean, Will's a mature guy. Will's a team-first guy. We, we know that he's going to be good in that respect. But I'm just curious to see, you know, when we line up and we go at it in these scrimmages, uh, you know, what do things look like? You know, how well is Will see in the field? And now, of course, with the running aspect of things, uh, you know, how do we handle that at the line? And number five for me is edge rushers. I didn't think we were great last year off the edge. Now, David Turner has always had at least one guy that was a game wrecker. He's recruited and developed those guys. And that's one of the things, getting David back is an important part of this because David is such a great developer of talent. It's not just that he is a great recruiter. There are a lot of people that are great recruiters because they have their donors go out there and drop off uh, bags of cash. But then they get them on campus and they can't develop them. There's a lot of that that happens. And that's when people get fired. That's when head coaches get fired. It's like all of a sudden these donors are out here spending all this cash to procure all these players and you're not producing results on the field. Dave Turner is a guy that can recruit and develop and manage a personnel group. One of the best defensive line coaches of my lifetime, Mississippi State. And we've had him three times now. Uh, This is a guy, too, that knows how to recruit Mississippi. This is a guy that understands what Mississippi recruiting is all about. He understands how to get the most out of these players from small town Mississippi. He's done it. It's not a promise. It's production with DT. But we've got to find somebody off the edge that can be a game breaker. Is that Don Terry Russell? Is it DeMonte Russell? You know, there's a lot to choose from. Is it time for Deontay Anderson to take a jump? Yeah, it is. It is. So who does David identify as that guy or two guys? And so I, I have no doubt that the quality of our coaching on the defensive line will be good. I have no doubt that our defensive line recruiting will be good. I, I'm just curious to see what does David do with these players that he's inherited. And so those are five things that I'm watching this year. Um, you know, and really, I think those are the most important things. I think with the experience and talent that we have up front, that we're going to be good against the run. I think with our linebackers, we're going to be exceptionally good fitting gaps and things of that nature and getting out covered in space. But what are we going to do in the secondary, especially with safety? You know DeCam's a guy that can really play. Uh, I, I, I would venture to say he's actually a better athlete than Martin and Emmanuel Forbes. He is. He looks like an NFL corner. He hadn't always played to their potential, though. He hadn't always played to their standard. And so that's going to be the question this year because he's going to draw a lot of assignments of everybody's best receiver. How do we handle that? The good thing is he's been with Darcy McBath the whole time. Uh, so things have kind of moved forward. And uh, I think, again, that's part of the development piece is when you get a consistent message throughout your career, there's a lot less thinking, a lot more reacting. But the secondary is probably the thing that worries me the most. The offensive line piece – you're kind of going back to what you did in high school or junior college because the air raid's a bit of a novelty thing. So I think it'll be a lot more comfortable kind of going back to those tighter splits. But I'm just curious to see how we handle it with, with the demands of the running game uh, being increased uh, with this new scheme. So 
Again, I'm excited to be back in spring football. You know, it's one of those things, too. You know, it's a busy time of year when everything's going on. You know, women, men's basketball, spring practice, baseball. Now that's over. I would be remiss, though, if we got out the door today without talking about our softball team and uh, almost got caught with that. Uh, The ladies are 22-8, and and they sweep South Carolina over the weekend. They've now won four in a row. And many of you have become softball fans, as well you should be. Uh, Coach Ricketts and the staff doing a great job over there. And, uh, you know, we made history last year. But we have played some very, very good competition in the non-conference. This is a team that's battle-tested. This is a team that has played uh, some big-time programs already. And so you lost a couple games to Oklahoma, but it's a good measuring stick for you. It is. And so... The ladies are back in action after a three-game sweep of South Carolina. Then they win, they win six-five in extras, then four-one, and then they uh, nine-one winners on Sunday. And uh, midweek off, they'll travel to Athens, Georgia this weekend. So congratulations to everybody involved with Bulldog softball. Uh, we want to be a full-service show whenever we can be, and uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit more if we kind of move forward here. But uh, the reality of it is, is there's still some things to choose to cheer for. And I don't know how anybody can be anything but proud about our Mississippi State men's and women's basketball teams. Again, we're sad that it ended, but we're awfully glad that it happened. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpiledabook.com. You can get all my sports books there. That's Flim Flam, Alpha Dog, Stark Villains, and Dogpile. You get signed copies there. Father's Day is coming up. Anniversary's coming up. Graduation gifts are coming up. And uh, met some nice folks uh, out in Kentucky. Uh, the, there were some Bulldog fans there, and I think I spoke to all of them. There was a group from Madison that I had a chance to talk to, and then my buddy Eli uh, had a chance to give him a Rock Vegas shirt, and uh, his dad had hit me up and said, hey, man, we live up here in Kentucky. Uh, we'd love to be able to say hello, and uh, I'm happy to do that. Chris Crawford, of course, uh, is the dad there, and uh, Eli, of course, uh, the son. So shout out to you guys. Thanks for saying hello. Wish we'd had more time to visit, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a work trip for me. I did get there early enough on Sunday just to kind of chill and relax a little bit and talk some with Coach Polk and Coach Kennard, uh, Everett Kennard. But uh, uh, when we get a chance to travel and say hello, we want to do that whenever we can. It's just like going down to Biloxi was almost impossible to do that because the crowds were so expansive. But uh, we need a good crowd Tuesday night. Need you guys to come out and support uh, the Diamond Dogs. I know how frustrating it gets. I wear it. I live it, man. Our business depends on the success of Mississippi State Athletics, right? When the Bulldogs win, we win. When they lose, we lose. And so I encourage you to kind of hang in here with us and hang in here with the Diamond Dogs. I know how frustrating it is. Uh, Many of you were able to turn it off. You know, we had to sit there and and endure that, especially that game on Sunday, and then drive seven and a half hours home. And, uh, you know, that's part of the gig. Uh, this is the job I signed up for. It's a job I always wanted. And so I just, again, encourage you, uh, let's just kind of see how things play out. And listen, you know, this is a big week for Mississippi State. Let's say you, you win on Tuesday and you can find a way to win two over the weekend against Vanderbilt. You feel a lot differently about this program. Uh, but I can't tell you today that I expect that to happen. You know, I'm thinking I just want to go win a game, right? Uh, but then you look up at the SEC standings and you realize that it's us, Auburn, and Ole Miss that were all swept over the weekend. So, uh, there is some room there to operate. There are five teams that were swapped. We're one of them. Uh, so we're all kind of tied there, last place together. And, but, you know, everybody's like, if you go read the message boards of those fans, they'll all tell you, man, we're, we're not even going to make a Hoover. Everybody feels the same way we feel today. 
We've got a good coaching staff. We just need those guys to find the right players to put in the right positions to get this thing turned around sooner rather than later. Uh, you can find Stark Villains gear at StarkVillains.com and come be a part of our wonderful community over JeansPage.com. Again, nobody provides you better coverage of Bulldog Athletics, and we are at JeansPage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. Uh, until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.